welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message. Good morning. We're so glad to be with you this morning. It's going to be a great day, so get ready. Fasten your seatbelt, put your tray tables up, and get ready to blast off. So I love going with my husband. When I get in a car, I forget that he's like a rocket ship blasting off, and I to always remember to put my seatbelt on right away because we're going to blast off. So he does everything that way. So I am ready to go this morning to hear what he has to say. And just want to bless you with uh, some dreams that I've had because God loves to visit and he works the night shift and I love that. And I, the last day of this year, the Lord said he's pushing the reset button. So he's restoring things. And uh, I saw him pushing that. So the next two conferences we had were on restoration, so get ready for things to be restored, for families to come together. Yes, give God a clap offering. He's wonderful, isn't he? So good. And I saw the uh, ship coming in, and it said dreams unfulfilled, so get ready for dreams that you've dreamed to come to life this year, so it's wonderful. And last night I had four dreams. I actually had six, but the first two I thought, oh, I, I know better than do, to do that, and I never do, but I was so tired I didn't get up because I thought, oh, I know, I know I'll remember. I didn't, so, but I remember the other four, and the first one was I had a young person. She's probably 10 or 11. Yes. Yeah. These dreams are for you. Uh, we're, what she's hearing is a prophecy for you in this church, so receive it like that. So she was probably 10 or 11, and... Uh, I took the liberty to have her hairstyle and her makeup done. I thought, oh, she'd really love that. And in the meantime, I was getting dancing lessons from a, someone else, and I wasn't enjoying it at all. I thought, this isn't my type of dance. I don't I feel coerced to do this. And when the little girl came out from her session, she was just horrified, and she hated it. <laughs> she wanted her mommy and wanted to leave. And uh, when I woke up, I knew that the Lord was saying, there's going to be a great Youth Revival and Children Revival in Melbourne, and it's going to be different, and it's not going to be our style, and we've just got to get over it because there are things that are not our style either, and we don't like to be forced into something that's not us. So get ready for an uncomfortable Youth Revival. I've seen the kids doing unusual evangelism in my dreams, things that we would never, ever think of doing, but they worked. So just let them be who they are. Don't try to change uh, the way it's going, but just allow them to have the freedom of the Holy Spirit to move because they really hear. They have dreams and they have visions and uh, they have healing. and They have all the anointings. They don't have a junior Holy Spirit. They have a big Holy Spirit in them and a big Jesus living in them. So uh, just release them with your blessing and just watch what God's going to do here in Melbourne. So that was exciting. And then I had one about uh, we were in battle, all of us, and we had our shields up. And we were just knocking them out with the shield. And the Lord says, shields up, shields up. But you know what we, the shield is? It's faith, the shield of faith. And the most battle that we do is with ourselves, isn't it? Our own mind and the things that we uh, come against in our old nature. So the Lord was just saying, uh, do battle with that mind. Don't let that mind take over. Get your faith shield up and let the Lord do something new and different, especially today. Let the Lord come in and uh, change that mind, pulling down the stronghold of your mind. And uh, anything that has 
exalts itself against God, against Holy Spirit. And then I saw a big desk in another dream and was sitting at this big desk, and I knew it's for you. We have God has given us such authority, hasn't he? And he's giving you promotion right now. I'm just speaking promotion over you. This is a great year for promotion and increase. So God wants you to take that authority that you have. He wants you to go out, take it out to the streets, take it out to your communities. Don't have any fear. Do what he calls you to do. Do the last thing he called you to do if you didn't do that, and then move on ahead. He's given you great authority for the kingdom, Jesus' name. And then finally, I love this one because I saw the door standing open in heaven. I know we were singing that, weren't we? And I tempted to go up there, but I just want to say when that door is standing open, don't hesitate. Go through. Go through because he has so much he wants to pour out for you. And today as you're listening to the word, when you see that door opening in heaven and in your heart, just enter into that place. Enter into the realm of the spirit because I had another dream where I came into our sanctuary and I saw a door open in the sanctuary, and I got a ladder, which represents intercession, going into the spirit realm, and I crawled up there, and I got up there, and I thought, wow, there's another, there's a loading dock up here, and it was all open, and this big truck was backing up, and it was pouring out gifts, more gifts than you can imagine. I thought, wow, I didn't know this was up here. I should have come up here before, and then I saw there was another door. I could go even higher, so just take advantage of it. When you see the door opening, don't hesitate to go through. God does healings up there, pours out gifts like Solomon. He got wisdom when he was in the spirit in a dream. Uh, I, emotional healing. I have a lady that had dream after dream where the Lord was rolling over her with waves of healing from what she'd suffered as a child. So receive that today. As the word goes forth and the heavens open, that door opens up in your heart. Just go in there and let God do his work, whatever he wants to do. He's going to do all kinds of things. He's going to heal you. He'll pour out gifts today. He'll give you the fire of evangelism. He's going to do all kinds of things. You've been asking things. So he's going to answer some of those questions today. So listen to Holy Spirit as he opens up the heaven over you today with his love. As his love pours out, uh, there's so much that comes with it because it encompasses everything, doesn't it? So let the love of God wash over you and just see what he's going to do. He's going to do something individually in each person, something different. It's not going to be like the person sitting next to you. So don't worry about that person next to you today because he's going to do something in you special. I just believe it with all my heart. So we bless you, and uh, we bless the word this morning. I bless my husband. Lord, just pour out through him, Lord Jesus. Like honey, let it flow, Lord Jesus. Like sweet honey, Father. But we can't get enough, Lord Jesus. We're so hungry. Yes, like a waterfall of honey, Lord Jesus. Roll over us, Father. We need you. We need more of your love, Jesus. Yes, Father, all of our insufficiencies, Lord, are met in you, Lord. So come, Lord Jesus. Come in every word, Lord Jesus. Come with your anointing, Father. Your rich, exquisite, extravagant anointing, Lord. Pour forth from your word today, Lord Jesus. Love you, God. Love you, Holy Spirit. Love you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Later. Amen. She is the best wife I have ever had. She's so amazing. Oh, my. We just lay in bed early in the morning and just go over our dreams. And it's just, it's just heavenly. 
what uh, the Lord has given to her. So I'm, I'm blessed. I'm a blessed man. All right. Uh, how many of you ever heard of Pardis? Some of you may have heard the last time I was in Melbourne. I shared this, I believe. Pardis. Good. Uh, it's always good to learn stuff, isn't it? Yeah. It's an acronym. P-R-D-S. If you are ever to take notes, this might be a time you want to do that. P-R-D-S. It is an acronym of an ancient rabbinical uh, level of teaching the Word of God. And many of you, uh, let's, let's say it this way, all of us, we have to get to a deeper level in the Scriptures. Uh, many people have told me that they've, they don't read their Bibles much because they're just not getting reality out of it. And this is one reason why I'm trying to bring forth this passionate translation that will be heart level from God's heart to our heart, accurate to the Scriptures, totally accurate, but uh, conveying the, the passion of His heart for us. So P stands for Peshat. P-A-S-H-A-T. It is the Hebrew word simple. It is the simple meaning of every Bible verse. Let's just take a Bible verse, shall we? How about Jesus is born in Bethlehem? Uh, can you take that literally? Absolutely. It is the truth. It is what it says. And all of the Bible is what it says. So the other three levels don't necessarily negate the, the first one. Now, I... Uh, I get super mega bored on that level. I've read the Bible through every year uh, many times. I've tried my best to absorb the teaching of the Word of God. I've sat under some of the greatest Bible teachers that I know that have walked the earth. I, honestly, I've really been discipled and taught by great teachers of the Word. So I love that level of Scripture. And that's where most Bible teachers operate. The second level is Remez, R-E-M-E-Z. Ramez means hint. It's a Hebrew word for hint. In every scripture, there's a hint of something better, something deeper. And that hint pulls us into another level. Think of like layers of an onion or layers of something that you peel off. And every time you peel it off, you get into a deeper, fresher revelation. Now, Ramez is the hint. So let's take the verse. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. What hint comes out of there? A lot. You know, he was born. Jesus was born. God became, he put skin on. God came with skin on. And you can teach on that level. You can take every scripture and go a deeper level and bring forth the hints of the word of God. And I'm thankful for the teachers that do that. We need those. But the third level goes deeper. And it is derash or D-E-R-A-S-H. And for any Hebrew speaker, that would be where we get drastic or midrastic teachings. That is the comparative teaching that only yields revelation when you go deeper than the hint. The word darash means, oh gosh, what's the best way to describe it? Uh, uh, darash means comparative. It also uh, takes us into a deeper level. And uh, I really like the Bible teachers that go there, that can bring the, the, the revelation of the Scripture that uh, is available for all of us. But the fourth level is where Jesus taught, and it's where the prophets taught. 
And this is why the book of Revelation is a closed book until you get into this level. And any teaching on the Revelation that does not get into the sod level where the author John took it, because all of John's writings are, are that fourth level. It's sod, S-O-D. S-O-D is the Hebrew word for secret. It is the revelation of mystery. It's the secret of the Lord. The scriptures... Uh, let me have the book of Proverbs, sweetheart, if you have, if you have one with you. Uh, so, uh, Proverbs 25.2. Did I mention about the Passion Translation? Did I, did I tell you about that? Proverbs 25.2. Thou shalt pick up the Passion Translation, and thou shalt read it, and thou shalt be blessed when thou dost doest. Proverbs 25.2. Uh, in most of your translations, it says uh, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to seek it out. Okay, that's not what it says. First of all, the word matter is debar. It is not a matter. The word debar is used 800 times in the scriptures for the word. It's the glory of God to conceal his word. But that's not really what it says. It says God, hide, God hides His Word in His glory. God hides the revelation of His Word. God conceals the revelation of His Word in the hiding place of His glory. But the honor of kings is revealed by how they thoroughly mine out the deeper meaning of all God says. In other words, if you're going to get the revelation of the Scriptures, you've got to go into the glory to get it. Because it doesn't come through the tiny portal, the tiny little spot called our brain. The intellect is not the door to the truth. It's the spirit. Jesus said, I am the truth. Truth is the reality. There really is no Greek word for truth. Did you know that? It's the word reality. I'm the ultimate reality. Reality. The ontology or the, the science of reality, the ontology of the universe is Christ. He is the essence of reality or truth. And He is not perceived or received simply in our brains. This is why you can know all about the Bible and go out and do wicked, vile things. And many things have been done in the name of Christ out of, out of a total misinterpretation of Scripture. Many husbands have abused their wives because of, of misunderstanding of Scripture. Could I give you one? I keep telling my wife, I, I want to share this with all the women. She said, no, share it with all the men. <laughs> so I guess we're all here together. So, and I started this thing. I might as well finish it. It's Ephesians 5.22. In your Bible, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Right? It's not what it says in the Aramaic. Indeed, the Greek word is submit. There's no way around it. It does say submit. However, if my thesis is correct, if my, uh, my belief is correct that the original manuscripts were all translated from Aramaic into Greek and from Greek into English. Uh, you know, there has been a Matthew, a Gospel of Matthew found. The most ancient manuscript of any New Testament scripture is the Gospel of Matthew that was written in Aramaic. When Jesus appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, he spoke Aramaic. Over the cross of Jesus, they had the word uh, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, in Aramaic. 
in Aramaic language, the first letter of each word, there's four words in Aramaic, the each le- and this is all in my John footnote here of John 19, thou shalt get it. On the, the sign over the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Wait until you read the footnote. Uh, there's so many secrets in this. But the, the letter, if you're standing from a distance, let's say from the back to, to look at the cross, what would stand out to you would be the letters Y-H-W-H, which is the, the sacred name of God, Yahweh. There's no vowels. It's only Y-H-W-H in the Hebrew language. So over his head is God. So the rabbi said, you can't leave that there. You have to take that sign down. And you know what Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. So Aramaic, the Aramaic language, I got lost on my point. Where, where was I going with that? Oh, the, oh yeah, the ladies, are, you, won't, you won't let me get too far away from All right. Now, are you sitting down? Everybody sitting down. All right, because this is jaw-dropping. This will change the church. The Aramaic text says, wives, be tenderly devoted to your husbands. As the church is tenderly devoted to Christ. And all the women said? So... The sod level is where John gave the book of Revelation. And this is why we have so many convoluted, antichrist-centered teachings about the, the book of Revelation. When it's the greatest parable ever given to the human race. That it can only be decei- uh, received and perceived by the spirit that comes and unveils mysteries. To find the revelation of the word, you have to go into the folds of his glory garment where he hides it. He hides his word. He hides the revelation of his word from the casual, superficial, those who are, that have no desire. What did he say? Pearls from swine. And he, he hides it. But the kingly anointing upon the church is going to seek it out. He's going to come into the glory and uncover the revelation of his, of his word. And the spirit of revelation has come upon me. And I'm beginning to see by the breath of the Lord. He visited me five years ago, breathed on me and said, I will give you secrets. I will teach you the sod. Now, do you remember what a homonym is? What's a homonym? Yeah, like um, plain. Plain is... A field that's level, it's what we fly in, and it's also simple. Three meanings, one word, plain. It's a homonym. Hebrew is nothing but homonyms. God has hidden revelation inside of the, the, the tools or the, the, the preferred revelation of choice is homonyms, puns, riddles, figures of speech, parables. Jesus only taught him parables. So the, 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 we who are brainiacs, we cannot get into the revelation of glory until we humble our heart. We leave our, our intellect outside the door, get out of our minds, and come in trembling before the holy place. Now the word sod is the word secret. Do you know the scripture, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him? That's the word sod. But do you know sod is a homonym? 
It's the word for couch. The couch of the Lord is for those who fear him. Now, the word fear, sadly, the word fear, in the universe of meaning of the Hebrew word for fear, there's four specific, clear understandings and appropriate context that should be used before we just say fear. Sadly, in English, every time that Hebrew word is translated, they put it in the fear of the Lord. But what it also means is to bow down and surrender, to adore, to kiss, to love. It, it can be a very intimate term, but it's also the, fear, the, the love of a monarch. So therefore, there is a fear aspect, uh, and it can be translated terror or dread. I understand all of the etymological issues around that word fear. However, God is not going to put you on the couch just to scare you. The, the, the secret of the Lord, the couch of the Lord is where intimate friends share secrets. Listen, mate, you don't want to sit on a couch with somebody you don't like. Awkward. You don't want, you don't, ah, uh, oh, uh, my mommy's calling, I have to go. You know, you, you're going to come with an excuse to get out of there. It's just strange. But if it's somebody you like or somebody you love, then you drop your guard, you share secrets, you give intimacies, you, you let uh, your, the communication in your heart flows together on a couch. So a couch becomes a, a picture, a metaphor of where the Lord meets his lovers. It's called the mercy seat, friends. It's the, the throne of grace. He gives revelation secrets to those who'll sit with him in the throne of mercy. So that's what that scripture is saying. And we, we have to take our understanding of the Bible into sod. I'm telling you, this generation, they love it. They like it. That's all they live in. They see the visual. They're into the creative, the pictorial, the textures of sounds, the nuances of poetic expression. This is totally this generation. So I'm born, I'm born out of season. I'm, I'm running with the 20-year-olds because that's who I am inside. Gray hair. But, I, I, but I, I'm really that 20-year-old like, some of you still, I see it on your faces. You are too. So the sod level, the Song of Songs is 100% mystical. You can't take it literal. Did you see the picture of the guy, the artist that drew a picture of the Shulamite? Her neck like a tower with a thousand shields hanging on it. Her nose like a tower of Damascus. Her hair like a flock of goats. She had real bright red lipstick. And uh, her teeth were all fluffy sheep. Big belly button. The goblet of wine with wheat pouring out of her everywhere. I mean, literal. how can you take that scripture literal? When Jesus said, I am the door. He, no, he doesn't mean he's that door. He's not a literal door. He's not a literal sheep or lamb. He's the sacrifice for us. He's the portal into glory and revelation truth. So metaphor, symbols, pictures become God's way of bringing the heart out of the natural into the spiritual. And the church of Melbourne has to get out of this. Has to get out. You're brilliant. You, are, you excel in your excellence of thought and there's great educational institutions around here and and I know about that but he wants you rich in the spirit he wants you to have treasures both new and old that you give to this generation and you open up your heart and pour out the wine of his spirit so I wanted to take a moment before I get into this uh, song of songs journey again that you would come with me into this deeper level 
That's why the, the um, uh, what did I share last night? The uh, woman at the well was so powerful. God has a way to get into the heart. He holds the key to the deepest pockets of our spirit. He made us. He has the access. He knows the pin code. He can get in there. We just have to get out of this thing here and let Golgotha, the, the place of the skull, take the cross. The cross your, your head is a good place for the cross. Where did John get the revelation? Where was he when he got it? Island of Patmos. Does anybody know what the word Patmos means? Patmos means my killing. Go there and you'll see what he saw. There's some things you have to die to. The love of self, the love of our opinions, the love of our traditions, the feeling that we have things that we don't have. We over-exaggerate our spirituality, and we claim a knowledge that we rarely even... I mean, what, what, what is it? We, we're so familiar with a God we barely know. And like the woman in, in the Shulamite lover, it, when Jesus comes leaping over the mountains, and he comes to pull her out of this natural realm into a spirit realm, she's so excited, but she doesn't want to go. She can't seem to leave what's familiar. We get the chaos somewhat organized, and we live in that realm, and we, we try to make ourselves comfortable, and yet we know there's something higher and, and deeper. Why would you go into the deeper realms of the Spirit and not want to go into the deeper realms of the Word of God? Because they're married. You get me, you get her. What's mine is mine, and what's hers is mine. Did I say that right? No. We share all things, even germs. So, you know, the spirit and the word are linked. And I see everybody wanting to chase the Holy Spirit, but they'll never open their Bibles and be taught the revelation truths that will set them free. And we, we tend then to exaggerate spiritual encounters when truth hasn't yet embedded itself into us. And to become fountains of forgiveness, to become loving vessels that release the Christ to others, to carry like Mary. That comes through repeated dealings of Holy Spirit and the Word of God. It doesn't come from a conference. Sadly, I wish it did. But it comes as we yield, we open our soul and say, God, burn up. Burn everything. Burn me holy. Burn me alive. Just put my life into your flame until there's nothing but you. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's God's math. So the Song of Songs, thank you for coming this afternoon or this morning and uh, joining us. And uh, I want to take us through a few chapters. This afternoon we will have um, the seal of fire. I want to pray over every single person, I think. If, uh, if I am strong enough to do that, and I think he is my strength, amen? amen? But I'd like to pray over each one of you and release the seal of fire. Amen. Then tomorrow I have a prophetic word for this house, for this church, especially the children's ministry. Is the, is the children's pastor here this, today? Where are you? Yeah, there you are. I've seen you already. So uh, I have a clear word for you tomorrow. So let's work this out timing-wise during the service so that because I know you may want to slip out with the kids. I don't know how that works, but we'll, we'll make it work. Um, 
The word Shulamite and Solomon, same Hebrew word, right? Uh, it, we are one with Jesus Christ. This is your story. This is about you. This is your journey into the heart of God. And this is how Jesus pulls you with a tractor beam of love and draws you and, and irresistibly brings you into the place of, of Christ's fullness. So how does he do it? Telling her how horrible she is, how she fails him over and over and never gets it right and loads expectations upon her that not any human being has ever fulfilled except him. Is that how he matures his church? So unlike many churches today that will always remind us where we fail. But Jesus will only remind you of your destiny. Because your history ended 2,000 years ago, you no longer have a history. It doesn't matter what you did last week. Let's get a scandal going. It doesn't matter what you did last year. Your history ended with three nails. It pierced forever and silenced forever the voice of accusation that would rise up against you. And now sins and iniquities I will remember never again. So God is the, 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 the lover and Christ comes with uh, God with skin on and, and comes as a human being. And he, he appeals to every part of our humanity. We're drawn to him, the winsome, loving way that he speaks, that he t deals with us, that he moves us closer into his heart. When we deserve a lecture, he gives us a kiss. There's not a leader anywhere like this, folks. You're not going to catch him, uh, you know, in, in a mood swing, a bad mood, you know, the PMS, prophetic mood swing. You don't, you'll never catch him in a, in a prophetic mood swing. Uh, he, he's always, uh, he's just who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and he'll always be the same forever. So we, we approach him with this bold assurance uh, that he's going to win the day. Love will win the day. Love will conquer my darkness. Love will, will pull me out when I don't feel like I'm strong enough to go on. His love is the answer. So, chapter 1 concludes as they lie down in green pastures, the verdant pastures, and she looks up and sees the rafters, the balconies of glory over her head, and she goes into the trance. And then she acknowledges in chapter 2, verse 1, I am the rose of Sharon. Folks, I don't want to ruin your worship songs, but the, the bride is the rose. The Shulamite is the rose of Sharon. This, this is not Jesus speaking. This is, this is you acknowledging before God, I am the one he loves. I'm the one he sings about. The word Sharon can be translated his song. I'm the theme of his song. I'm the one in cherishing love that he has he sung his melody over me. His lyrics make me dance. There's something in me that jingles when he is near me. And I'm the lily of the valley. And he speaks and says, yes, you are, my darling. Oh, I like that word. That's better than Mufasa. Hakuna Matata. You are, you are, you are my darling. Tell the per no, don't tell the person next to you they're your darling. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get problems going here, but. The Hebrew word darling, if you're interested, is a compound word that is a joining of lover and friend. And so Jesus says to you, you're my lover friend. Can I say every man wants that? Every woman wants that? A lover who is a friend who is a lover who is a friend. And Jesus has found it in you. You are the perfect match. You're the perfect partner. You're everything he bled to death for. 
You are the reward of his sufferings. You are the joy set before him. You are the very passionate desire of his heart. Wait till I tell you this afternoon what he, what he says to us. So you're the rose. So everybody say it. Let's have Shulamite practice. Everybody say, I'm the rose and I'm the lily. Now, lilies in the Bible are always a picture of God's precious people. The book of Hosea, the book of Isaiah, even Matthew, Jesus said, consider the lilies. The lilies are those pure in heart. They are sacred, scented lovers of God that have passionate hearts to be holy in Him. You are all a field of lilies in my eyes. So a lily among thorns. You're a lily surrounded by thorns. Thorns is a picture of the curse of sin. When the earth went into darkness, plunged into darkness by Adam's uh, failure, uh, Jesus, uh, God said the earth will bear thorns. What crown did Jesus wear when he was crucified? He took the curse of our sin. All of the curse. He broke it. Cursed is the man who hangs on the tree. And he was doubly cursed for he wore the crown of thorns, bleeding to death on a tree, breaking every human curse off of us forever. A lily surrounded by thorns. What a beautiful picture, artists. In a thorn bush, a lily springing up. Starting to sprout. That's who you are. You're surrounded by problems. You've got issues at home. Your money's not perfect. Your health may not be perfect. Your family is, whoa, shall we talk about that? <laughs> but yet, in the midst of the thorns, whoop, here you're coming up. You're this lovely lily. And he reaches into the thorns and pierces his hand to pluck you to himself. And then she says, they, they have this beautiful exchange in chapter 2. Uh, you're, you're, chapter 2 is good. You, you want to... You want to stay in chapter 2. But she compares him to an apple tree. Of all the trees of the field, there is an apple tree who stands above them all. You know what that is? Trees are people. Let all the trees clap their hands. Trees don't have hands. People do. Trees have branches. So trees clapping their hands is a picture of the peoples of the nations celebrating the redemptive glory of God coming to the earth. So the trees of the field, the blind man partially healed, saw men walking as blessed as the man planted like a by the river of water. So the men become a picture, an emblem of trees, okay? Even our physiological being uh, is uh, strangely representative, representing a tree. But so this apple tree stands above all the anointed fivefold ministers. Line up a thousand apostles, a thousand prophets, throw in a thousand evangelists with all their stuff. Get the pastors lined up, get all the great teachers, throw them in a stadium. There's one who's above every one of them. Above all the trees, the anointed young men that carry the blessing of heaven, there's one who stands above them all. What's his name? Yeah, don't you delight to sit in his shade? The Shuli says, the Shilamite says, I, I love to sit in the shade of this apple tree and taste his pleasant fruits. This is really num num good stuff. Yummy, delicious revelation truth here. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of his life, the fruit of his sufferings, the fruit of his glory. I delight to dwell, to live under the shady grace of this massive 
anointed one. There's nobody I feel safer with than him. To sit there and feast on his love, his graces, his, his, just the way he speaks, something about the way he moves, you know, I just like it. She falls into a trance. She goes in the spirit realm. You eat enough of that stuff, you're going to go there. I'm telling you. Woo! And uh, probably over and over, I, I find all of these mistranslated verses, and I, I, and I ruin stuff for people because they really want an antichrist. They really want all these things. I'm sorry, but the, the banqueting table, it's not. He doesn't bring you to the banqueting table. Please forgive me for stealing this from you, but I got to give you the truth. And when I tell you the truth, you'll understand why Baptist translators would not want to translate it the way it really is. It's the house of wine. <laughs> he brings me <laughs> to the house of wine. The inebriating wine of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. This is the engagement party for the bride. This is the fiancé's engagement party where the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you know, rivers pour out of us of the Holy Spirit. This is the spirit wine. This is the, the glory, the gifts, glory, fruit, and wisdom of the Spirit that mingle within us, and it comes out of us like the intoxicating glory of God. He brought me to the wine cellar. He brought me to the house of wine. That's the, the Hebrew text. And they say, I'm biased. Well, drink some more. She loses it at her own engagement party. She passes out. She takes so much of this. Oh, 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 give me more. Oh, but I can't take any more. Oh, give me more. Oh, but I can't take any more. More, less, more, less. Woo, 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 woo. Bam, she goes out. His left hand under her head, his right arm. Shall I model this for you? All right. <laughs> His left hand under our head. That's the invisible graces of God that we cannot see, yet supports us, strengthens us. Every part of the scripture is ripe, folks. And if you get my commentary on Song of Songs, I go through all of this. The left hand under my head, holding your thoughts. The reason you haven't quit, the reason you haven't lost it all is because His invisible graces are holding you. Hallelujah. And his right arm of power holds me, strengthens me. And she, you get the picture. I mean, she goes right out in his arms at her own engagement party. That's okay. Take more. I, I'm committed to live in the thin place between too much and not enough. I want to live right there. That's where I want to live every moment of my life. Oh, I can't take this. Oh, but I need more. Oh, but I can't. Woo, more or less, more or less. That's where I want to live, more or less. <laughs> so, she, uh, we're going to do this on Broadway, you know. Did I mention that? So, she passes out. He's holding her. And then he turns to everybody else, the daughters of Jerusalem. Oh, I need to tell you, the daughters of Jerusalem, they're the brides-to-be. They're the ladies-in-waiting. These are going to be Shulamites at the end of the book. They watch how he deals with her and how he treats her 
And they feel safe at the end to say, let him kiss me. And the journey begins all over again. Throughout church history, there are always Shulamite lovers that create more Shulamite lovers. And this is just God's method. He, this is how he, he sweeps over his, his body, his bride, is he raises up a lover who raises up lovers, who raises up more lovers. And throughout history, a steady parade of Shulamite lovers have, has given us tracks by which we follow into his heart. So he says to all of the daughters of Jerusalem, she's passing out, curtain's about to close, curtain's about to drop. He turns to them and says, I charge you. In the name of Bambi. <laughs> By the does and the gazelles of the field. Does that scare you? Even when he charges us, when he commands us, his commands are not burdensome. They're sweet. Even the sweetness of his charge is couched in the terms of the most gentle Animals of the field, the does and the gazelles. So he puts a do not disturb sign on her heart's door and tells everybody else, don't make her work in the nursery yet. Don't make her go and serve uh, seven, uh, eight days a week and fast, 20, uh, fast 41 days and, and uh, pray 25 hours a day. Don't make her do that. Let her be locked in love in this sacred chamber with me and when she awakens, when she so desires, she will arise and she will serve and love and do the works of kingdom business better than any paid staff member for money. She will do it for love. Love always is a greater motivation than love or guilt. I'm sorry, than money or guilt. Let me say it again. Love is the greatest motivation there is in life. Nothing is more powerful. Nothing. It's, it's uh, as mighty as death in the grave. So, curtain falls on this scene. Curtain rises, brand new scene. Can't wait to do this. We have Jesus leaping over mountains. You still with me? Song of Songs 2? Shall I demonstrate? <coughs> he, he's jumping over mountains. I don't know how we're going to do this. Uh, make Batman look kind of weird, but... It's going to be awesome how we're going to do this. So he's jumping over mountains, and she's like on her couch looking through the window and say, no, that, that can't be him. No, no, that's, what? What? Is that him? Listen, my beloved, he's coming to me. He's leaping over mountains to come to me. So the mountains are the things that divide you and him. Mountains of pride. Mountains of fear. Mountains of I'm not good enough. Mountains of I'm not ready. Mountains of I can't do mountains. So he, he comes leaping over the mountains to her. She's sitting on her couch looking through the wall. It says the patchwork, the lattice, the patchwork of her soul. He looks through the windows of her soul and he sees that she's not ready to go. But he comes leaping to her and says, arise, my love. Come into a new place. Get out of conferences, meetings, sitting in church services endlessly, and now it's your turn to jump on mountains. 
Arise into a new realm. Come into my world as I have come into yours. I will give you grace to leap in resurrection power, for only a king of resurrection could leap over mountains. Everything that we think is impossible, you know, he leaps right over it, and it's nothing to him. And all those mountains that you look at the horizon, you say, well, how can I do this? I'm never able to do this. I don't have money. I don't have this. I don't have, you know, when, when you're single, it's like, I'm not married. And you get married, and you go, why did I do that? And then you say, but I don't have kids yet. we got to have kids. Oh, give me kids. And you get kids, and you go, oh, give me a babysitter. Give me a nanny. And then it's like, oh, God, when are my kids going to leave home? And then they leave home and say, oh, God, when are they going to call me? When are they going to come back? Then they come back. <laughs> yeah, and they come back. When are they going to leave again? When am I going to have grandkids? You know, when are my grandkids going to leave? <laughs> when can I get my house back? And we have all of this living out in the future. We always have another time, don't we? Someday, someday I'm going to do this and be that. And we live in this fantasy that we call our prophecies. And instead of stepping into the realm of glory, we simply live in this, oh, I hope so realm. And I want to get you out of hope so. Lock the doors, nobody leaves until you get out of hope so. And you step into his world where nothing is impossible. I'm not the right person to come and tell me your dreams and your vision and your destiny because I'm going to help you do it. And I'll, I'll, I'll motivate you. I'll get you moving towards, well, let's don't talk about it. How, long have you t how many other speakers have you come and told about you're going to do this someday? Do it. Get off your couch. You're not made for the, that couch. You're made for his couch. So he gives her seven things. He gives her seven revelations. And I don't have my notes with me, but uh, I'll, I'll, therefore I'll have to skip over it. But uh, it's in my book, and it's in the, the commentary, and actually you can find them in the translation as well. But he says the winter is past. Let's see if I can remember that. The winter is past. Aren't you glad the cold Brutal winds, the, the biting winter winds are over. And um, the rains are over and gone. That means you won't be muddy. You won't slide down the mountain trail. You can go up the mountain. Everybody say, I can climb mountains if Jesus is with me. There's no mountain you cannot climb. So uh, she is, he is telling her over and over, don't you discern that it's a brand new day? It's a new season. You don't have to live in the limitations of past, whether it's the winter. Oh, I can't go out because it's winter. Oh, I can't go out because I'll get my feet muddy. He says, the season of singing has come, which is worship. Thank God for anointed worship. Did you write that song, mate? That one song we sang? That was really awesome. I like that. You guys got some CDs out? Yeah, I see it coming. And it's going to be really, really special. People more than just your family will buy it. <laughs> it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it uh, while you were, I go, man, that's a really good song. Uh, you need to come out with that and, and others as well. But beautiful, awesome. Aren't they wonderful? You know what he loves about this couple? Everything. <laughs> How long have you been married? 30, 50, 700 uh, uh, 
18 years. 18 years. That is the year of breakthrough because the woman had an issue of blood for 18 years. So you're going to have a breakthrough physically, spiritually, and in your marriage this year. This is an awesome. When's your anniversary? Yeah, I was going to say you just had it, and uh, you noticed something kicked in on this 18th year. God has his hand on you. Uh, you're going to be doing some international travel, uh, so make sure you got the passport. I'm sure you do. But uh, the Lord's going to start to move you around in some new circles and not leaving here. I'm not telling them they're leaving the church or anything. But I, I see open doors coming for you. And, and of course, you're going to be you're going to be based right here and, and blessed right here and loved right here. But you're going to have opportunities to really carry the sound of worship other places. Is that OK? Man, he loves you. Love you, man. Fill my son, Lord. Fill him up. Fill him, Lord. He's labored. He's served in many different capacities. and Not always in easy seasons and easy places. But he's been faithful to you. We honor your son. And we thank you for him. And just raise him up. Let him rise up. Let this message of the Shulamite just cause him to leap up and say, I'm going to the mountain. I don't care what others have said. I'm going to the mountain, to the higher places. I want to learn Revelation glory on the mountain with Jesus. And you too, sweetheart. God's with you in every way. Now, <coughs> the seven things that he spoke over her, and I think I gave you three. Uh, the cooing of doves. I come to you as a cooing dove. I'm bringing the sweet message of heavenly life, of the spirit revelation of his love. The cooing of doves is the prophetic Love being revealed. It's the love of God being cooed, so to speak, over us. And then it speaks about the vines that are in bloom, pomegranates, fig tree. All of those expressions speak of God's ultimate purpose, a new change of season, and that the earth itself is bearing witness to the prophetic uh, shift in the season that is upon us. So he gave her every reason. He gave her every reason to get up and go. And he looks inside her heart and sees she's not going to go. She's not ready. She doesn't do mountains. She does conferences. I'll watch the podcast. I'll, I'll, I'll tell everybody. I'll get up in church and tell everybody about how you visited me. I had a visitation from the Lord. And I'll leave out the part about I didn't go. What would he say to her knowing she's not going to go? He repeats it the second time. Arise, my love. He doesn't reject her. How does it feel to, to have zero rejection over your life? And if you feel that, one of two things. Either you are wrong in your feelings or it's the enemy, not God. So he says again, looks in her eyes and says, arise, my love. And calls her my dove. If you knew she wouldn't go with you, you'd probably call her a turtle. <laughs> why you tortoise? Why you wallaby? <laughs> why you buzzard? But what did he call her? What animal did he choose to compare his bride to? Beautiful dove. 
Never forget when we moved into our building. It was a miracle. Don't have the time to tell you a supernatural miracle visitation from the Lord. And uh, $100,000 I got for doing a wedding from one of the richest men uh, on earth. Married his daughter. Did the ceremony. And, and it just opened up the heavens over our church. We got this massive complex. And the first time I walk through it, I, I'm handed the key. We paid the money. We walk into this massive building. It's going to be our new church home. And I, I just weep. And I go out to my car. And as soon as I drive off from the, from the car park, a, a heavenly dove, a white dove, visibly comes right in front of my windscreen. And for about a kilometer, follows the same pace as the car. And I'm staring at this dove saying, oh, I hope I don't hit anybody, you know. And I'm just staring at this heavenly dove that followed me, followed me or led me or however right out of that car park. The dove. He sees you as a dove. Because you're beginning to get revelation. The dove's eyes, you have the eyes of a dove. You're like a dove because you're able to see in the spirit. You're able to see and perceive revelation. And then he says to her, my dove, I have hidden you in the cleft of the rock. I have placed you in the cleft rock. You know what that is. I didn't put you in a cage, but I put you into my wounded side, the rock that was cleft open, the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. I've hidden you in my wounds. I've wrapped my heart around you, my dove. I've not locked you in a cage. I've put you into my heart. My dove in the cleft of the rock and the secret stairway of the sky, the hidden stairway, the secret escalator, that ladder that Jacob saw, that glory realm, I have placed you where I'm going to take you. Somebody will get this. I've already put you where I'm going to take you, and you don't want to come, but I've already, I see you there already. You see, he says things that are not as though they are. And he prophesies not to he prophesies into our destiny. Isn't it beautiful that you're already seated in heavenly places? So go get it. Why haven't you gone up there? Why don't you go? Why don't you rise up? Get rise up means get out of this world. In Revelation 4 1, when Jesus says, Come up here, it's not the rapture. It's come into this higher realm. Come into my realm. He stands at the door and knocks. Revelation 3.20, two verses later, that do same door that he's knocking on stands open into the heavenly realm. It's in you. Did you catch that? It's the same door. Revelation 3.20, Revelation 4.1. One is your heart, the other standing open in heaven because it's now in you. You need a new heaven and a new earth. The one you have isn't working that well. Okay. So, we're hidden, it says. Doesn't Colossians 3 says we're hidden in the heavenly places? We're, our life is hidden with Christ in God. So, all of the terms of Song of Songs, Paul has taken. I'm going to write a book someday on the Pauline theology from the Song of Songs. I'm convinced Paul the Apostle got his deepest revelation out of the Song of Songs. And the hidden dove, the stairway in the sky... The, Way up there, that is all Pauline teaching. Seated in the heavenlies, you know, those he justified, he glorified. We are those heavenly people that we seek the heavenly things, don't we? Okay. 
Then he says to her, show me your face. Show me your face. How many times have you prayed, Lord, show me your face? And he has to say, I'm sorry. Show me your face. Who wants to kiss a bride with a veil on? Yuck. I mean, really, you ever gone to a wedding and the guy's kissing his bride with a veil? No. You lift the veil. Show me your face. Get the veil. Get shame off of you. The lifter up of your head. Show me your face. I want to see your face. Unveiled. No mask. Who you are. Without shame. Look in my eyes. Well, you, you know about the Apostle Paul, where he got converted, right? It was on the road to Damascus. <laughs> he is taking you on the road to Damascus. He will not stand for a veil, an unveiled bride at his side. No shame operating, no guilt, clinging on like cling on, stick tights, you know, whatever. He wants you to be free completely. So show me your face. The word in Greek for face, when Paul says, uh, well, I, I, I goofed up here. When Paul says in, uh, twice in the New Testament that God is not a respecter of persons, it's actually the word mask. God is not a respecter of your mask. He sees everybody with no mask. You can put one on, but he doesn't see you that way. He sees every person without a mask. And he sees you and holds you dear, not because you try to be good, not because you want to be good, but because you are in his eyes. You're beautiful in him. The robe of righteousness has imparted beauty to you. It's a designer label made exclusively in heaven for the bride of Christ. You're the only one that gets to wear it. And you look just like Jesus when you wear his righteousness. How does it feel to be the lookalike of Jesus Christ? It's the armor of God. It's what God wears. You wear God's clothes. When you go to battle, you're wearing the armor of God. It's what he wears when he fights the devil. This is why you scare the devil out of the devil when you show up because you're wearing him the righteousness of God so you're lovely because of the righteousness he's put upon you you're lovely because of the virtues that only he sees in your life people will always always lock into your weakness and they'll identify you with your failure Jesus never does he locks into your destiny and he calls you as the glorified one. He identifies you, not as people do. Years from now, they'll still remember how you let them down, how you failed them, how you weren't there, how you did this, how you didn't do that. Jesus is so easy to please. He's the perfect seventh husband for the woman at the well. She had five, living with six. He's the seventh. He's the Sabbath. You can rest with him. So show me your face and let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet.
you'll like this. Tell the person next to you, even if you don't like them, tell them your voice is sweet. Your voice is sweet as you sing and worship. I believe showing him our face is worship. We come before him with our face uncovered. Nothing to hide, nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to prove. We just come before him. You say, but I'm not worthy. That is like, that's so like 60s. That is so not relevant anymore. Can I, can I help you with this, my friends? Jesus loves messed up people and is committed to use messed up people because that's all he has. That's all he got. That's why he loves messed up churches. <laughs> he loves him. You want to run from a church that's not perfect? He runs right into the door you open and says, all right, go ahead. You'll just ruin that one down the road too. Jesus loves. Listen, I love my grandkids. They come over and mess up my house. They put crayons on the wall. You know, they tear things up. They break stuff. They ruffle up my hair. You know, they'd sit next to me at church before I get up to speak. And they purposely just like rip everything and do this because they knew grandpa was going to go. I don't know. They're just it's my grandkids. You probably have perfect ones, but I, I've got mine. I, I like mine. I'm going to keep mine. But I don't care if they're immature. Yeah. I don't care if, if they're not perfect. Don't you ever say anything bad about my grandkids. I love them. And, and I know you do too. You're no different than I or I'm, I'm no different than you in, the, in that regard. But, but if we imperfect fathers and grandfathers have that heart, do you think Abba, our, our daddy, Papa God doesn't care and love and enjoy immature, weak, feeble people. He loves you. He doesn't wait till you get to heaven to enjoy you. He's thrilled about you right now. Not when you die and live better and glow in the dark. Right now, he likes you. You're perfect in his eyes. You're unique. There's nobody like you. You're the chosen one. And I shared with you last night, chosen means you've come out of the word to be a word. It's the Logos that created you. The Word is being made flesh again and again and again in His people today. And we're the lookalikes of Jesus. The Father loves the Son so much, He's going to fill the earth with people just like Him. He's the perfect Son, the model, pattern Son, firstborn of many glorious ones that are going to fill the earth. Psalm 16.3, He delights in you. The glorious ones, that His delight rests on you right now. Isn't that great? But he knows what's keeping her back. It's the same thing that keeps you back. Fear. Don't look now, but the person next to you has fear issues. You don't, but the person next to you has significant fear issues in their life. They fear failure. They feel inadequacy. They feel that if I go up the mountain trail, I'll probably slide down. Uh, I, I'm not really good at doing mountains and a dark trail with a man I barely know. I, you want me to run up to the mountaintop? And, and the fear thing just has, has held on to us. Men have it too. 
This is why they overcompensate and try to be somebody they're not. Instead of the little boy God has made them to be. That needs a father's love and the compassion of a spouse. So he's going to address fear. What is it in the Bible that like casts out fear? What is that? Perfect sermons cast out fear? Perfect worship songs that cast out fear? What is it that casts out fear? Pounding the pulpit, where were you Wednesday night? It's time to double tithe. Where, you know, and we, we, we get this exhortation thing, and we, we really feel like the church is to be exhorted instead of loved. But the wife has to be tenderly devoted. And are we not tenderly devoted to him? So how does a husband pull the affection out of his bride? And how does a husband prepare the bride and make a bride love him? Could I suggest, men, that you love her first? We love because he first loved us. Wouldn't it be great if the men first loved their wives? And then they would find the perfect, beautiful, radiant thing that I have. Beautiful one. that I, Did I tell you I'm in love with her yet? So fear. And can I tell you where fear comes from? Compromise. It comes from duplicity, double-mindedness, the ambivalence of our heart that loves him one day, doesn't the next, and we know it. And we're afraid that we're not genuine, we're not truly his because we have these moments of insanity. We have these moments of the beast nature that comes out of us. You know, Paul says, I fought with beasts in Ephesus. Well, I fought with a few since I've been in Australia. And the beast is a clear picture of human nature, but... The, the, the beast thing comes in us, the raging, wanting our own way, consumed about our issues and our hurts and making everybody know about it, that beast nature. And, and so she is fearful because there's pockets in her heart, there's places, corners in her heart that have yet to be committed and submitted to God. They're called foxes. So he says, catch the foxes. Let's go on a fox hunt. Let's catch foxes. Let's go after those little critters inside of you that sneak out in the dark in your dark moments, those morose moments, melancholy days that come out at night and eat away on the budding vineyard of love I put inside of you. Let's catch these foxes. If we catch them, you'll come with me to the mountains. And I love the way he says it. Let us do it together. I'll help you. And I think I brought that out in the translation. But I'll, we'll do it together. We will catch these foxes. Is there anybody else in the Bible that caught foxes? Samson. Anybody know how many he caught? 30. He caught 30 foxes. And he tied their tails together. Can you see the YouTube of that moment when you're tying... Can you imagine how happy the foxes are that you're tying their tails together? Can you imagine what they're doing while you're trying to get this done? And let's add a little drama to it. He puts a torch between their tails. Woo! He puts a burning torch, ties a torch onto their tails, and then kicks them out into the wood, hay, and stubble of the Philistines. And that whole thing... It, it, it ends up becoming a riddle, Samson's riddle. 
And he said, if you solve the riddle, you have the answer of life. And you get 30 linen garments. What does a priest wear? How old do you have to be to be a priest? 30 linen garments. It's, a, it's how you enter into the priestly realm of loving, serving God. If you'll solve the riddle, you enter in. Shall I move on or give you the riddle? Okay. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the devourer, something sweet. Now, the obvious meaning of the riddle goes back to the secret that Samson had with the lion. On his way to a hot date, you know, went online, found the girl, ran into Philistia. But on his way to this hot date, he encounters a lion. It was the sphinx spirit over Philistia. It was the principality over the region. The breaker anointing on him pulled that out, pulled it into reality. And this lion beast came against him. And you know the story. Samson tore it with his bare hands. He had the anointing. He had the breaker anointing as a judge, a deliverer upon him. So then he goes and gets the girl and comes back. And on his way back to mama and daddy, he says, I'm going to go and look at this carcass of the lion. And what was in the carcass of the lion? Honey. There's honey waiting for you in that thing that came after you. The greatest disappointment and pain and trouble that's ever come into your life, if you'll go back, there's honey waiting. Sometimes the Lord will take you back to your trauma to heal you. And there's honey waiting in the carcass of a lion. That whole revelation is so beautiful how Jesus healed Peter. You know, Peter the denied Christ three times and you know where he was when he denied Jesus where Peter did this by a charcoal fire warming himself fast forward John 20 Jesus is by a charcoal fire and asks Peter three times he takes him back to that trauma took him back and, and, and re programmed his heart and healed him. And you remember Peter was called to follow Jesus, catching fish and the miracle, you know, cast your net on the other side and you'll get a great catch. That was the first encounter he had with Jesus. Jesus reenacts that first encounter and shouts out to Peter and the bros that are out there fishing all night, catching nothing after he was resurrected. And he said, have you caught anything, mates? And they said, not at all. Said, well, then throw it on the starboard side. Throw it on the right side of the boat. And they did, and they caught a great catch of fish. Peter got it. This is the reenactment of my call. This is my Lord. Jumped in, swam to the shore, and there he is by a charcoal fire where he betrayed Jesus. Do you love me? Peter said, yes. You know the story. There are times the trauma, the only way to heal that is to go back to it and with the Lord this time and to have his healing hand. So the, the, the parable, I'm, I'm getting lost in my stories here, but the Samson riddle of honey and the lion is a parable of where you get healed. Where do we ultimately get healed? 
the cross is where out of the eater something to eat. Out of the devourer that came against him on the cross, something sweet. Solve the riddle. You become a priest. You wear the garments. You enter in. So she turns him away and says, I can't go right now. I'm barely making it with the problems I have and the pressures I have in my life. How can I go up a dark mountain trail? It's midnight. I mean, couldn't you come? So she says, until the day breaks, until the shadows flee, until I have no more doubts and I see clearly when everything has disappeared. Doesn't that sound like us? You know, someday I'm going to follow Jesus. Come back when I'm ready. I'm not ready right now. So she says to him, turn. And it's actually the word return. And I bring this out in the translation with footnotes. But the Shulamite says to her lover, go back where you came from. I'm not ready to go. You jump over mountains. I sit on couches and watch church services on TV. I don't do mountains. That's all, you know, I don't do mountains. It's midnight. I'm scared. I barely know you, but I love you so much. But I, I just don't feel like I could just leave everything and go off into a realm where I'm not familiar. So turn. And go dance on the mountains of Bether or the mountains of separation. It's the Hebrew Bether, and it's, it means the mountain gaps. Go and jump over the mountain gaps without me. Come another time. Powerful moment on Broadway as the lights dim in the theater, and it begins to shine upon the Shulamite's face. A and as the king, the lover of her soul, for the first time in their tryst, in their... Uh, in this journey they're making together, for the first time, he actually leaves her. He turns around. And the pain shows on her face as she realized, I just said no to my lover. And he turns. And he goes up the dark mountain trail without her. Uh, you know the movie... Field of Dreams, where the baseball player kind of fades into the cornfield. This is how we're going to do it on Broadway. He's going to slowly, you'll see him going up the trail. I need steps right here, but that's okay. If I was really prophetic, I would just do it without steps. <laughs> um, he goes up the dark mountain trail and fades out as the curtain falls. And the last thing you see is the face of the Shulamite. No. I said no. Do you want more? Wouldn't it be a horrible place to leave? Right there. Curtain rises. Brand new scene. Lights are bright. It's a new day. But the Shulamite is on her bed. Tossing and turning. All night long, she says. Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. All night long. Night after night is what it literally means. This is the dark night of her soul. And if you've been there, you don't need me to say much. How many of you know the dark night of the soul can be more than one night? It can be a decade. It's a season of her life that is 
filled with pain and angst because she said no. So she's turning night after night. Where is my lover? Do you know there are some issues in our life we can't blame the devil or our pastor or other people for? You can't blame your husband. You can't blame your wife. You can't blame anybody, your boss. Those are issues that I bring upon myself. Right? I wish I could blame the devil for everything. So she says those amazing words, I will get up now. I'm going to break depression. I'm going to get out of this bed. I don't belong in a bed. I belong on the mountains. It's almost like it's the turning point for her. Sometimes pain does that to you. Sometimes pain, grief, sorrow, hurt, the curiosity of why did this happen, all of that can move us closer to God if we will let it. It's the hidden mysteries of his ways. He whispers in our pleasure and shouts in our pain. She takes the covers off and she puts her robe on and she goes out into the, into the city. Now, the city is the church. The local church is the city. It has government, boundaries, people, activities. Didn't Jesus said the church is a city set on a hill? And Abraham looked for a city whose architect was God. So the city church, keep in mind, because it's going to be important to you later on, that the city church is a picture of, of her going back into the fellowship she left. Because a lot of times depression, you know, pain grows in the dark. Sin grows in the dark. Depression grows in the dark. If you'll turn the light on and get with God's people, if you can't find Jesus, he's hanging out with his people, folks. So get back in to the fellowship of, of the saints and come back into the warmth of the fellowship of his love. And we'll grow together in our journey. We'll lovingly forbear and put up with the, you know, the stuff of one another so that we can find him whom our soul loves. So she discovers the watchmen. Now, the watchmen are a picture of our spiritual leaders. They're watching over us. They, they're overseers. They watch over our souls. And uh, they're taking care of the city. They're taking care of their flock by night. They're good watchmen. Thank God for good watchmen like what we have here in this house here. Thank the Lord. Because in chapter 5, they're not. And if you've been around very long, you'll find out there's abusive, controlling leaders that, whether they mean to or not, wound, hurt, and harm, and hinder the bride of Christ. But thank God. Chapter 3, she meets the good ones. And she holds on to them and says, have you seen him whom my soul loves? Can't you see that, Pastor? People coming into our church. And it isn't like, what's, what, where's the children's ministry? Where's the, what they're really saying when they come into our church is, have you seen him? Do you know him? And can you give me him whom my soul loves? And pastors come and go. Churches rise and fall. Movements are here and then fade. But have you seen him whom my soul loves? Eternity is in our hearts. We must live for the eternal and interpret life out of that eternal realm within us, the breath divine, where dust and deity have kissed inside of us. So scarcely did I get past them that I found him. Oh, I, I have to tell you something. 
when he walked up the dark mountain trail without her? He left her, right? No. He'll never leave or forsake. He only walked up far enough that she couldn't see him. But he was hidden there. And when we do this on Broadway, there'll be a screen or you know, I think they call it a scrim. Some, whatever they call it. It's a very thin, light veil. And you'll be able to see him, the shadow of him. Yeah. Now, you'll see him the whole time as she's on her bed looking for him. Where is he? Where's the one I love? Why won't he come to me? Well, he's waiting for you to get out of bed. You don't belong in a bed, princess. You belong on the mountaintop. I mean, if you're going to rule at his side, start now and go up. So you have to go past your leaders. Scarcely had I gone past them that I found him. Could I say to you, my friends, go past their failures. Look past their weakness. Go past their virtues. Go past where they may limit you. Go beyond. Find him. And if they're good leaders, they'll rejoice that you find him. And true spiritual leadership, apostolic fathering, is an aquarium. It's being an aquarium. A see-through servant with a one fish inside. His name is Jesus. That's the leadership model of the last days. So, then the screen lifts, and there he is in full glory. And she sees him, and like Mary in the garden, held on to him and would not let him go. Remember that, that episode where she thought he was a gardener? He is, just not what she thought. And she held him and would not let him go. And he had to say, Mary, excuse me, I have, I have to go see the Father. And the Shulamite, like Mary, holds on to him, and she wants to bring him back to her mother's house. Now, the mother's house is the womb of the church. We're all born again in the church. We were given life by our father and our mother. This is why you honor the father and the church, which is your mother. You honor the church. You love her. Because this is where we were given birth. And it's especially real to me because I was born again in a church. It's where I received Jesus as a burnout freak. And God gave me life, kissed me with mercy and gave me life. And since then, my wife and I start churches. We love churches. We go to the mission field to plant churches. Now we oversee churches. Now we father churches and bless them every way we can, consult churches, etc. So... You're not going to get very far with Jesus if you don't like his bride. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to get far with me. If you want to be my friend, love my wife. Be nice to her. And it, 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 you become very attractive to me. You're very, very alluring to me. I want to get to know you better because I see the kindness. And I think the Lord is saying, if you love me, love my bride. Because we're always together. My church, my bride. So... The scene closes. The scene closes. The curtain falls. This is a short scene. And, and again, she's hanging on to the feet of her beloved. And what does he say? I charge you in the name of Bambi. There he goes again. And once again, he tells the, the ladies, the daughters of Jerusalem, which when we do this on Broadway, they'll always be in every scene. They're, they're watching. They're observing. 
And at the end of the book, as the, as the drama ends, I want to do this where the last scene is they're the ones that in tears, they suddenly are on a mountainside saying, let him kiss me. And the saga begins all over again. So they're with her at this point. So he turns to them and everyone in the theater, everyone watching this journey, and says, don't bother her. Don't disturb my love until she is ready to arise. Curtain falls. I think I have time for one more scene. Is that okay? And then we'll all go get uh, lunch. And uh, Pastor Andrew's going to buy everybody lunch today. So let's... As we run out the door real quick here. (laughs) Now, the curtain rises, and it's a brand new scene. This is perhaps one of the most powerful scenes in the book. Curtain rises, and it's filled with smoke everywhere. The whole theater, smoke of glory. Who is this rising up from the wilderness in a pillar of cloud and smoke? It's Jesus Christ. Ascending in the clouds. It's the one who came up out of the wilderness of human existence. It's God incarnate who's going back to his glory realm. And he's rising up. And when we do this, we're going to have light shining from behind him, blinding all of our eyes as the light blazes. And we see this glorious Jesus. And he's, I don't know, strings or ropes or something. And he goes right up into the ceiling. And everybody's eyes are fixed on this beautiful sight. Smoke everywhere. I'll never forget the time I told my worship team, my worship leader, worship pastor. I said, Mike, I want smoke in our... Get me a smoke machine. He said, Pastor, you you want a smoke machine? Yeah. Get me one of those that just kind of... And I want, like the worship team, like knee-deep in smoke, like they're in the glory cloud, and they're playing the guitar, and the drummer like up to his neck, and I want holy smoke in the services. He said, okay, pastor, I'll do, I'll do it. So he went out and got a smoke machine, brand new smoke machine. Guess what? It malfunctioned. <laughs> Couldn't stop it. it. It kept going and going, and the smoke kept going out, and they're all flipping every switch. They're trying to stop this thing, and it just, the whole sanctuary filled with smoke. We had a big church, folks, and the fire alarm went off. I mean, it, the I said, okay, get rid of the smoke machine. It's better to have the real than the phony any day. So we sold it. I don't even know if they told him it wasn't working or not, but we sold it. Anyway, that's what's going to happen here. We're going to have smoke of glory. He's going up into the heavenly realm. Every eye fixed on him, and they forget to see what's on the platform. It's the marriage carriage. It's called a palanquin. It's the thing where these real buff men, like I used to be, mini skirts, armband, long hair, and on their shoulders they're carrying the king and the queen. No, they're sitting on like cushions or something inside a veil of this little, and they're carrying it. He forgot to tell you. You don't have to go up the mountain trail. I'll take you there. I will carry you. I will carry you. He just wanted her to say yes, and he would give her the revelation. 
it's not the race is not to the strong or to the swift. It's not the labors of our hands. It's his grace. In our time of weakness. Isn't that beautiful? He's going to carry you. The bride and the groom and the marriage carriage. Hey, is there anything else in Israel's history that was like carried on shoulders that that um, they went through the wilderness and they carried? What was that? Oh, the ark. Mm. You need to read my footnotes. Because you're going to ride on the ark of covenant. You're going to sit on the mercy seat. He's going to carry you in mercy where you cannot go yourself. Say, I'm weak. He says, good. I like it. Hop on. God, I'm so weak and feeble. I don't think I can make it. Great. Hop on. I've got a seat for you right here. It's called the love seat. The throne of grace. Sit here with me. Are you sitting down? I found the mercy seat. Please don't go to Israel. Look for it. I found it. There's not going to be a temple rebuilt. Sorry, folks. I'm sorry, mates. There is a temple being rebuilt, but it's Ezekiel 47. The only thing God says I will rebuild is David's fallen tent, David's tabernacle. There's not going to be animal sacrifices. There's not going to be another temple because there is another temple. And it's, here. it's us, folks. We are the temple. This is the one, Jew and Gentile. We don't go back to Judaism to get close to God. We go to God to get close to God. That, you know, that's why Galatians is written. That's why we have the New Testament. Please buy letters from heaven. Thou shalt. And I explain these things that Judaism has been, uh, God, we, we, God brought us up through that beautiful tree of, the, of Judaism. And we honor that. And you'll never accuse me of anything other than that. I have paid a price for my love for Israel. I'm taking a team of 100 people to Israel. Thou shalt come with me this year. I welcome you to join me as we'll dance on the Sea of Galilee. We'll eat Peter's fish. We're going to go to the empty tomb and cry together, and we'll take communion right outside. We'll see Golgotha, the place of the skull. I'm going to take you to Mount Carmel where the fire fell and show you the rock. We'll go to the plain of the Beatitudes, and we'll see where he multiplied bread and fish. And, of course, we'll weep at the wailing wall together. And I'll take you through secret rabbinical tunnels and get within a few meters of where the Ark of Covenant actually stood. And if you're brave enough to come with me, I'll take you to Shiloh, where tourists don't go because they don't know what it is. Like many of you, you don't know well, what, what's, what happened at Shiloh. Well, the Ark stood there for 390 years, all through the days of Joshua and Judges, up to the days of Samuel, when Eli the priest... And his corrupt sons corrupted the priesthood, and the ark was stolen out of Shiloh. So Shiloh is very important. What was I saying? I'm getting lost in my own stories. I'm having fun. Oh, the ark, yeah. The temple. The temple of Ezekiel 47. You should read that. And it talks about a river coming out of the temple. And did not Jesus stand at the temple and say, there's going to come a river out of you? A drink becomes a river. A drink becomes a river. Wow. And uh, he spoke of the Spirit. Now, P 
Peter and John came to the temple, what, what was the, the river that poured out of Ezekiel's temple? Do you remember it had different measurements of depth? It was at different levels. What was the first level? Ankle. The first miracle of the book of Acts is a man lame in his ankles at the gate, beautiful, the very gate where that river opened up, not through stone and wood, but through the living temple of James and John. Such as I have a river of healing, I give it to you. And the man was healed in his ankle as a sign. The temple of Ezekiel is now the focus of God. It's being rebuilt. So the Ark of Covenant, likewise, I found it. You sitting down? You're it. You are the Ark of Covenant. Wood and gold. Humanity, deity, overlaid one upon another. Encircled with a crown of gold. You've been crowned with glory and honor. Has blood been sprinkled on you? Are there angels overshadowing you? Aren't you carried in grace throughout your journey? And here's the thing. The same thing that's in you is what was in the ark. Three things. The golden jar that had manna inside of you. Aren't you a golden jar? Aren't we vessels of honor? A golden jar that has the mystery bread. I call it wonder bread. It makes you wonder. And he feeds us with mystery. He feeds us in a way that we don't understand, and he likes it. He likes the fact that we'll just feast and not know what we're, <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> the golden jar of manna. The second thing is Aaron's rod, resurrection stick, almond branch that left in the Holy of Holies, as you know, holy place, it budded up with blossoms and uh, fruit and bud, blossom, and fruit right out of that almond branch. It's a picture of resurrection, that the priestly anointing comes from death to life. It passes from death to life. It's only the areas of you where you pass from death to life that you're qualified to extend the awakening rod, the branch, the almond branch. You see that? Or do I need to go back over it? You got it? The third is the tablets of the law that's been written upon our heart. Within us is written the living truths of God. Truth is now embedded into us. I will write upon the fleshy tablets of their hearts. Paul says you are living letters known and read of all men. So we have revelation truth now within us. So the Ark of Covenant is the church of the last days. We extend mercy. Jesus said, those sins you forgive, they will be forgiven. We are the mercy seat, the Ark of Covenant that the nations are to come to. We now become the feast of the nations. The church is now the representative of the Christ. As Christ fills us, we carry like Mary, and the lookalike bride rises up. She will give to the nations what he would give if he were on the earth today. Mercy. The blessing. And it says that there's 60 mighty warriors around. I'm about done for lunch. It says there's 60 mighty warriors around this couple, the bride and 
uh, her fiance. This again takes us to the tabernacle because around the tabernacle was 60 pillars that held up the linen curtains like mighty warriors prepared for the terrors of the night. And there is the motif, the picture, the artistic creative genius of God that he takes the picture of the tabernacle and the chamber inside of a chamber and the mercy seat and says, this is how I will take you into the heavenly realm. This is how we'll leave one earth and come into the new earth the new, because I make all things new. Aren't you glad that he didn't say, behold, I make all things old? I call you old creatures in Christ. Sing unto me an old song. My mercies are old every morning. I like new. I make all things new. The restorative glory of God is that he can take us and renew us and make us new again. So the curtain falls as the daughters of Jerusalem all chant and say, come out, come out, everyone, and look at the bridegroom on his way to his wedding. And see the crown his mother gave him for the day of his wedding. The mother is the church. And we give him these crowns. We crown him with many crowns. And the, the, the church has the ability to crown him as the highest over Melbourne. I know the ruling principality over the city. It's Jesus. 